once you start engaging in email, and people always say this, like, oh, I don't have a list. Well, you do. You just don't have a formal list. You don't have a ConvertKit account. You don't have a Drip account, whatever the case is. But you have an inbox, and I know you've sent emails to people. And if you're in business, you have customers. So you have an email list, even if it's four people. Pressing send and engaging in those people and getting the replies back by asking them questions, you're going to see a lot of the same patterns over and over again. And that's those patterns that the convert kits, the drips of the world can actually start to scale for you. So press send. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help consultants, coaches, entrepreneurs, and small business owners build their businesses after long careers as employees. We believe you should be able to do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with email automation expert, Jason Resnick. In today's episode, you will learn how to engage with your clients with email. Stay with us to hear all the details. How do you feel about where your business is today? Most of us do our best work in collaborative, supportive environments. Come explore ours. The Smashing the Plateau community can help you build your business through live events, a private communication platform, accountability partners, and lots more. Speak to me or one of our community members to learn more. You can schedule a quick conversation at smashingtheplateau.com slash 15. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash 15. Now let's welcome Jason Resnick. Jason is a marketing automation expert, founder of NurtureKit, and a recovering web developer. Thanks for having me, David. Excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you back, Jason. And um, I, I love your bio, <laughs> uh, your introduction. Short and sweet, I love the part about recovering web developer, mm-hmm. which may be a good place to start. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I was always a geek playing around with computers and all of that kind of good stuff. But my career started as a web developer, mostly front-end work to start, but then I got into Java development and Ruby on Rails development, custom PHP work, really in the weeds on server type applications. Then as I started building my own business in 2010, that's all I did. I basically was an overflow work for agencies because I came from the agency world when I worked full-time. And so I just did whatever lines of code in whatever language that somebody would pay me to do. And then as my business matured, I really started honing in on a specific kind of product. And that was more of building websites that were taking transactions. Now, some of them were physical e-commerce websites. Others were memberships. Others were nonprofits taking donations. And what I learned over the course of that was the human element is by far, in a way, the best best thing to hone in on and learn more about. And so the reason why I found that was because around 2015, 2016, as I was writing code, the email game was getting a little bit more mature. It wasn't just blasting people out on lists with sales and just hoping and praying that people would buy. You had to be a little bit more smart about who you were pitching and not pitching, right? So somebody has product A, let's not show them a pitch for product A or give them a product that is 
you know, like in the email product A, let's show them product B. And the email platforms were starting to get a little bit more mature too. The Infusionsoft's drip where you could actually query the data and on your website, be able to build a custom experience based around that email data. And so that's what I started doing with my clients. And so with my very science data-driven mind as a web developer, I really started to lean in on something that's always interested me and that was human behavior. You know, what are people clicking on? What are people are opening? What are they replying to in the inbox? And starting to marry that data with the website. So the website would transform based on what was going on inside the inbox. And I say recovering web developer because these days I'm basically doing email marketing and automation based around human behavior. Uh, That's what I do in day in, day out. I rarely write lines of code, but what I do know about code and still do for my own business as far as writing code helps with creating a better human experience because you can actually use other tools to make that human experience much better, right? Things like personalized videos, uh, text messaging, things like that. And so we could tie in a better email experience for those that come onto somebody's list and allows you to stand out in the end anyway, as an email marketer, as a business, as a brand. And so, yeah, so as a recovering web developer is because I don't think that that is ever going to leave me. That's kind of like, I enjoy doing that, but for what I do for my business, it's really just everything is centered around email at this point in time, rather than the lines of code that I wrote for clients back in the day. Right. So you've really honed in on your unique skill set at that intersection between digital data and human behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I minored in psychology. I was always interested in human behavior, even as a kid. Like I would just be you know, I'm, I'm an introvert in and of itself, but just to be able to like see how humans behave is more telling than what they actually say oftentimes. And so, you know, just, I mean, give me an example. Well, if somebody is, if somebody is uncomfortable at like a cocktail party, maybe they don't know anybody there or they're like a, you know, a spouse is the friend and you know, you're there like me, let's just say I'm there and it's my wife's friend. I don't, I may not know a lot of people there. And so I'm going to kind of be a little standoffish. I might lean up against the wall or, you know, something like that, or even just maybe stand like six inches or a foot behind my wife while she's walking up to somebody, right? Just those little subtle things you could kind of pick out and, know that that person might not know everybody in the room or feel a little bit uncomfortable or shy or something of that nature. And you can actually approach like someone like that and say, Hey, I'm so-and-so, you know, like you could kind of come to the conversation knowing how that person's feeling before you, they even say two words. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to that person Like if it's you and you don't know that many people in the room and somebody approaches you, what would be the best thing for somebody approaching you to start the conversation with? Yeah, just be open. I mean, you could say, you know, if if you don't know anybody here, you could 
kind of just relate that. Like if this was me approaching me, I would just say something like, hey, I don't know anybody here either. You want to go, I'll go grab you a drink. You want to have a chat or something like that, right? Just to break the ice in sort of a disarming way. And so translating this into what you now do in email, how does that understanding of human behavior shape what your clients need to know about email marketing? Yeah. So what I work with with my clients is really trying to understand their customers, their subscriber to customer path. And what I what that means is, is usually four or five questions that you can ask your subscribers to put them on the path to buying from you. And one of those questions is always some sort of identity. Like, what do they call themselves? How do they identify themselves? Like, as a business owner, do you call yourself a founder? Do you call yourself a CEO? Do you call, you know, whatever you call, call yourself? Try to figure out what that person calls themselves. Then the, the next couple of questions that you would ask are really just trying to find out what the motivation is behind the desire to actually accomplish what they want. And what I mean by that is, is the desire is usually some intent, right? And what, that mean, what I mean by that is, is you want to get recurring revenue, right? As a, as a service-based business, maybe you want to have a little bit more of a steady income rather than the project base. So you want to build in some recurring revenue, maybe retainers or something of that nature. So my intent as a business is to get recurring revenue, right? But what's the motivation behind that? Motivation could be any number of things, but it's usually associated with an emotion. It could be that I don't like sales. I don't want to have to co always keep doing sales. It could even be, I want to get away from the screen, right? Like I could, I don't want to have to, if I get recurring revenue in my business, maybe I could work four days a week instead of five or a half day on Friday, or whatever the case is. That motivation, that the emotion, if we could figure out what that is and tie it to the desire, the intent, that's where the sale is going to happen. And most people understand what the desire is, right? If you're in business, you know what your customers are looking for. But if you actually really want to know what that motivation is, that's a harder thing because sometimes people don't know, right? Or it's too close to the heart that they don't want to tell you, right? Like even if you just ask them, they reply, they won't tell you. Or even if you give them a list of links to click, they won't click it. So you could infer in other ways, sharing di different kinds of articles, different kinds of podcasts or resources, yours or somebody else's, right? If you don't have the type of content. So you can actually start to infer that. And so if you know kind of like what in your mind as a starting point, what the three or four different kinds of motivations are, put email content out around those motivations and see who clicks on it, right? And so you start to connect the dots through that individual's action. Because if something resonates with somebody, let's just say, you know, you share an article about your latest vacation, right? And hey, I put some photos on Instagram. Okay, that's like a motivation towards potentially family or digital nomadship or something of that nature. You can actually tag the people that clicked on that with that interest, right? People that don't have that interest, they don't care, they're not going to click on it, right? But then as you start to get closer to the sale, 
you can change the content around a little bit with the motivation front and center, right? So what I do, what I try to help my clients is, with is, is connecting those dots so that the sales sequences write themselves, right? The problem with a lot of sales sequences, especially in service-based businesses, are that it's trying to cast a wide net, but with a high ticket price, you really have to be really specific, which is why one-on-one sales calls is usually the case. If you could do that through email and create almost a one-on-one sales call-like sequence, I call it a salesperson's sequence, you can have a much more powerful connection and the call is merely a formality at that point, right? Because now I'm talking to the individual based on what I know about them and what they desire, connecting the dots there, and a sentence or two can make the whole difference. How far along in one's business development does a business owner need to be in order for this kind of methodology to work? Because we have, like, I'm, I'm thinking of folks in our audience. Typically, they start off as employees, so they may have may work in a corporate arena for a few decades before they go out on their own. And when they go out on their own, the most common path is to become a solopreneur, consultant, or coach in the same discipline where they've developed their expertise in the in the corporate arena. Many of them, when they start their business, are starting from scratch. They don't have any any clients yet, particularly those that have gotten pushed out through uh, something that's not performance related, like a merger acquisition or business suddenly gets bad for the employer and there, you know, there are a bunch of layoffs. And, you know, typically these people are at the point in their career where they would like to have more control in any case. So it's, um, you know, maybe it's a blessing in disguise that they've been been downsized. So anyway, so they go out on their own and they they start off with um, zero clients. So there, there really isn't much uh, much track record or, or traction as to who they might want to serve. And they're often very general in their marketing. Others have been out for a while and they know much more about their, their ideal client and, and who they really would love to serve with their expertise. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, so looking back at my own career, I didn't realize I had done this pretty much from the start, right? When you don't have anybody, it's simple because you're basically just writing your emails out of your inbox, right? Like you're just trying to generate leads, generate clients. You're just connecting with everyone. But no doubt their expertise 10, 20, 30 years in corporate has led themselves to knowing really what the motivations are behind somebody. They probably even have, I would argue that they have more knowledge than let's say a freelancer or somebody who is just coming out of college to say, hey, I just want to I want to have control of my own destiny and I'm going to do it this way before going full time because the expertise that's coming with that experience from the corporate world, they've heard people complain about things. They've heard about some red tape. They've heard about, you know, opinions and viewpoints that maybe they agree or disagree with, right? And so in those scenarios, those are the little bits and pieces that you can drop in an email 
that resonates with the other person on the other side. And so I really, I mean, the only thing that would, I would say that if you wanted to do this at scale, you would have to have an email list. However, you could probably have out of your inbox, just canned templates saying, hey, customer A looks like this, right? Their main motivation is to get out from underneath corporate, right? And then have an email that's already written that looks like that. And customer B is somebody who is looking to spend time with the family, right? That's what that email looks like. And customer C, right? And so I had, for a concrete example, I had three types of templates from emails that I had in the first year or two of me starting that I would send out to people. One was to agencies because I knew exactly the pain point that agencies had from their end and what they were really needing. So I called it out plain and simply. Two, it was the uh, nonprofits. So I spoke specifically to them and their pain point was usually getting donations. And three, the e-commerce folks. And so e-commerce folks, really what there were was shopping cart abandonment at that time. And this was, you know, 2010, 2011. So understanding those three pain points, I had three essentially templates that I had stored in my Gmail account that I would just send out. And that's the starting point. That's the methodology really is just understanding their pain point and their desire. And once you connect those two, you have it, right? People are going to ask, they're going to automatically feel that you understand who they are because you're talking their language. Right. So it's not so much the actual email automation. It's being clear on who your ideal customer is, what their major pain point is. And then simple automation, just having a template set up that you can send out once you know who you're sending it to and what their likely motivation is. Yes. And I would add to that, not just the motivation, but the emotion behind it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. like the agency world, right. I worked for agencies that were always pressed for time. And I was talking to project managers when I went out on my own that managed a team. And I knew as a team member myself in agencies at times where the project manager was stressed to the max because They weren't sure if the project was going to be finished on time, how to get information from developers when they needed it, things like that. So I would always speak to the the pain point of time, right? Because the project manager was all based on their performance, right? From their direct reports. So I knew that they didn't want, you know, to be stressed out with managing somebody else. And I said, hey, I know that you're pressed for time. You probably have some overflow work. And so what I propose is this, right? And usually my proposal was, hey, you give me the project, I'll have it delivered a week prior to the due date that you tell me, right? And so it makes it a complete no-brainer for them to say, okay, well, let's have a further conversation then, right? Because if you could promise that, then great. In the email marketing and scaling that, it's very similar, right? It comes down to like, so let's take this because everybody's seen it, especially with Black Friday coming. And at the time of this recording, probably be passed. But at this point, you're going to see a timer in your email, right? And so you have like this innate FOMO, 
or sense of urgency to kind of say, okay, once this timer hits zero, then this sale is not going to happen anymore, right? That only works so far, right? That's not going to work on a random Tuesday in February, right? Like it just doesn't. So instead, what does work is when you understand their motivation behind what it is that they want, right? As a business owner, you know what you can deliver and you know what your customers want, but getting into their mind and into their hearts at times, that creates that internal clock, right? Because they automatically say, oh, okay, David knows what I'm looking for. He says he can deliver on that. And yet he he's right here. So I'll press buy, right? And what I mean by that is a concrete example is I had a client that wanted to grow their email list. And what client doesn't, right? I do email marketing. They want to grow their list. So after talking with this client a few times, I couldn't really, there was definitely something there that I couldn't put my finger on. Like something didn't make sense to me. All the, the standard questionings and deep dives and things like that, that I tried to do, just there was something still missing there that I couldn't put my finger on. And so I plainly asked, I said, look, is there anything else that I'm missing here? Because it just doesn't seem right. Like your blog gets traffic, you're running ads, you're getting, you know, 50, 60 people on your email list every day. What, why do you want to grow even more than what you're already at? You're getting money through, you know, through your email list, you're converting those emails. So what's here? What am I missing here? Right? Because it seems like you have all your ducks in a row and seems like, you know, maybe you just keep running ads or run more ads or something, right? Well, what they had told me was that they were looking to sell the business in six to eight months. And through that, that's a much different conversation because they couldn't just pour, ad, pour more money into the ads. They wanted to get it in a way that was more organic so that it added value to what they were looking to sell versus just getting people in the door and converting them that way, right? And so that looked very much, that conversation after that, the project looked very different than me leaning on the ads to drive the traffic, right? We had to lean on other sources, other organic sources. So you have to really try to figure out what that motivation is so that you can connect at that level through email before they actually click that buy button. Makes total sense. Thank you for sharing that. Jason, you and I met years ago in a community. And I know you've been pretty active in communities. I'm active in communities. I run a community. Can you share a little bit about your own experiences being part of communities? Yeah. I, I mean, I've been part of online communities since I've been online. And I've facilitated them. I've been a part of them. They're hard. <laughs> Plain and simple. They're hard especially as running one. In running one, I've found it difficult, especially to get them going, right? And then maintaining that, right? You can over-deliver it as the leader or facilitator of a community, but it comes down to really that first, I don't want to say cohort, but those first founding members that you have in the community so that they actually start to rise and be champions of the community itself, right? There's only so much stoking of the flame that you can do. And you can kind of see this in like Facebook groups, usually like 
you know, automated messages and posts like, hey, share your wins. This went wins Wednesday or whatever it is, or fun Friday or whatever the case is. And they share these automated posts and nobody engages with them because they know it's automated. It's not a genuine thing. But when you have a small group of people that could be the flames themselves, right? Asking, engaging and jumping into conversations. That's when the community really starts to take shape because if you as the community leader is is the only one that's actually doing that work and you will have you will for a little period of time but if you're consistently doing that then what's the community it's just you and they're there to listen to what you have to say and they're not actually engaging in that community right so that's that's the hard part of community to be honest with you that I, at least that i found what have you achieved because of your connection to community? I wouldn't have the business that I have today. I, you know, I mean, it's going to be 2023 and I've been in business myself for 13 years. And me being involved in community, in communities, has allowed me to network at, at scale, right? To help other people solve problems, but also learn how to run a better online business too and make lifelong friends. You know, I mean, like, I mean, we met, I know it was the, you know, ages ago. <laughs> I couldn't even, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, it was probably 2018-ish, 2017-ish, like where we met. And so, you know, I mean, just being able to engage with people online from just typing on a keyboard, <laughs> you know, I mean, my grandparents could have never imagined that, you know, so... I don't know. I think that that's the pretty cool part about the internet is being able to find people that are like you, have a similar mindset, have a similar goals, and then be able to connect with them no matter where they are in the, in the world. Jason, what does community mean to you? A friend, you know, a uh, comfort level. Comfort level with people that have, have that same, same mindset that you might have or same values that you have or same perspectives or even different perspectives, but have same values as you. And, you know, just being able to feel safe in a place where you can voice your own thoughts and opinions and, and expertise and experience and get some feedback. Sounds great. Thank you for that. Um, Jason, is there anything you, else you want to add that I haven't asked you? No, I mean, like, I know... The email side of things sounds overly complex, but it really isn't. Once you start engaging in email, and people always say this, like, oh, I don't have a list. Well, you do. You just don't have a formal list. You don't have a ConvertKit account. You don't have a Drip account, whatever the case is. But you have an inbox, and I know you've sent emails to people. And if you're in business, you have customers. So you have an email list, even if it's four people. Pressing send and engaging in those people and getting the replies back by asking them questions, you're gonna see a lot of the same patterns over and over again. And that's those patterns that, that the convert kits, the drips of the world can actually start to scale for you. Um, so press send. Love it. Jason, if somebody wants to go deeper with anything we've discussed, get in touch with you, access any of your resources, sign up for your list. And they're excellent. You're like one of the best email writers I know. Thank you. Appreciate that. How can they get in touch with you? Sure. How can they learn more about you? Uh, so I, I made a special 
lead magnet per se for this podcast. Uh, you could go to nurturekit.co slash STP. And from there, you can actually get my salesperson sequence. It's a templated version of it. So you could just fill in the blanks. You could see how it shapes out and send it off to your list. See how that resonates with people. I know how impactful it's been for myself as well as my clients. So um, I can't wait to hear how impactful it is for you as well. Sounds great. Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again on Smashing the Plateau. My guest has been email automation expert, Jason Resnick. Thank you again, Jason, for joining us. Thanks for having me, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. On today's episode with Jason Resnick, we learned how to engage your clients with email. Are you building a community? Check out Circle, the all-in-one community platform for creators and brands. Bring together engaging discussions, members, live streams, chat, events, and memberships, all in one place, all under your own brand. Circle is the platform we use in the Smashing the Plateau community. I love the way Circle puts your people, discussions, and content all in one place. Get a free 14-day trial of Circle at smashingtheplateau.com slash circle. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash circle. I'm David Schreiner-Khan. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.